It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, like, because when I shot, I expected to make it. So, like, I don't shoot kind of miss. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Canada, the NBA title is yours. We're going to the first of the Hail Mary 3 by Mo Get that garbage out of here. What's going on? Welcome to episode number 1019 of Lockdown Raptors for Monday, September the 20th. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter, as always, at WoodleySean. You can find the show at Lockdown Raptors. And, of course, you can find the podcast on all your favorite podcast platforms for the low, low price of On the House. Yes, uh, the podcast is free on all platforms, so please go and uh, subscribe, rate, review, tell a friend. And then, of course, go to the YouTube page and hit subscribe as well. We are inching closer to 700 subscribers. My goal was to hopefully get to 1,000 by the end of September. We have 10 days left to do that. So please help us out as the season draws near and training camp starts, uh, I guess, in a week's time. Media days like next week. Holy crap. It's crazy. Um, let's uh, dive into today's show. Uh, on today's show, as promised, in the cold open, uh, we are talking about Pascal Siakam in uh, lots of different ways. He was part of a... New York Times piece by Sopan Deb last week, sort of a Q&A type thing. Some interesting stuff came out there from Pascal. And then we are going to continue on the series of episodes we began last week, looking at what success would look like for each of the key members of the Raptors. And the brainchild of that series is on the show with us today. Once again, from his Achilles recovery bed, growing the beard out. It's beautiful. It's Vivek Jacob from Raptors.com. Big V, how's it going, buddy? Not bad, not bad. Hopefully the last time that I'm in this bed uh, for this podcast, at least uh, tomorrow, I have my appointment to see whether I've progressed enough to move into a walking boot. Hell yeah. So hopefully that's the case and I won't have to just lie in bed all day. <laughs> so yeah, looking forward to that big day tomorrow. <laughs> what is your day to day looking like big V? Are you just like, uh, watching a whole bunch of soccer? I know man, you is doing well. Don't ask me about Tottenham because they're an embarrassing, sad sack, uh, franchise. But, uh, what's your day to day been, man? Are you just like housing snacks? Like that's what I would be doing. I would be like gaining back all the weight I lost this summer. I would be eating nonstop garbage because that's the kind of person I am. And I, uh, <laughs> I like to hurt myself. Well, what's your sort of day to day been like, man? Day to day is just the, uh, you know, watching TV shows, movies, trying to do some work just to like keep it fresh mm. a little bit. Um, other than that, uh, I would say that the food part of it is challenging because yeah. <laughs> uh, from the people that have got in touch with me, it's like, it's very easy to go these next couple few months uh, that I'm supposed to be resting and not putting any pressure on the leg, uh, just eating whatever. And then, you know, my body just completely changes. So I'm trying to be really careful about what I eat. At the same time, that's <laughs> difficult because, uh, like I said last episode, I'm with my parents while I need help. And oh, uh, <laughs> home cooking, 
while trying to <laughs> manage your diet is not optimal. That's for sure. That would not be a problem for me. I love my parents. Not very good cooks. Uh, so <laughs> I think I'd be a little bit more in the clear. Uh, they're, I hope they're not. They're on vacation. They're not watching this episode. They won't be offended. I tell them they're bad cooks all the time anyway. Either way, <laughs> let's get into today's show. Big V. We're talking Pascal Siakam today. We'll start off by digging into the piece of the New York Times uh, that he did with Sopan Depp, a Q&A type thing, um, before we kind of dig into the question of what success would look like for him this year. The, there was some interesting stuff in that piece. Talked about the sort of blow-up he had with Nick Nurse. Seems like bygones or bygones there. Talked about the most interesting thing, I guess, probably is the fact that he didn't feel like he was sort of branded as the guy in Toronto last season after getting that max extension following the 2019 season. You know, what were your sort of big takeaways from either that part? Was there something else that stood out to you as sort of the big takeaway from that piece? What did you leave thinking about after reading that? I think my biggest takeaway on the whole, without looking at any particular uh, aspect of it, uh, subject of it, would be the honesty. And mm -hmm. uh, I think for me, in terms of believing that Pascal is ready to sort of turn over a new page and get back to being the Pascal we all re recognize uh, in terms of that all NBA caliber player. I think the honesty, the fact that he's willing to talk about it tells me that mentally he's in a good space where it's mm -hmm. like, yeah, this stuff happened and um, I'm willing to acknowledge it, put it out there because I am past it and I'm ready to move on. I think, you know, whether it's you know the stuff that happened with him getting suspended for a game or whatever it was when that stuff was getting brushed aside and people were trying to downplay it that's where i'm like hey okay there, there must be something beneath the surface here because they're obviously not letting out much and so now to have it all out in the open i think tells me that everything is truly in the past and is ready to move on yeah, I think that's a really good point. Um, you know, I, I think the Nick Nurse stuff in particular, you know, that was sort of, I think, overhyped and made into be a bigger deal than it was. And I'm glad that he kind of talked about like, yeah, it was a losing season. We had never lost before. It was a nightmare season. And, you know, the game in question, I believe it was a game against the Knicks, if I recall, where he didn't play in crunch time. I think the Raptors lost anyway. And like, if you are someone who's making a max contract who is the best player on the team and has displayed as much that it, throughout the course of the season, of course you'd be pissed not to play in crunch time of a game where, you know, I guess theoretically at the time they were chasing down a play in spot, you know, I would be a little bit concerned if he wasn't upset about that. Right. And, and that was my sort of thought on it at the time. And I'm glad there's sort of a confirmation there that that's sort of what was going on. Um, and you know, look, players and coaches have beefs all the time. Nick Nurse is a kind of a confrontational dude. I'm not surprised that sometimes he'll butt heads with his players, but it seems like things end up pretty copacetic more often than not. And I think that's something you can kind of leave in the past. I do want to talk to you about the sort of idea of Pascal not being branded as the guy and sort of my big takeaway from the piece and is that maybe it's actually kind of a good thing that Kyle Lowry went to the heat this summer and for like the long-term health of the team, obviously I'm going to miss Kyle Lowry. It'd be lovely if he was back, but I think we kind of talked about this at the time when Kyle left and was, you know, on his way to Miami, the idea that it's finally not his team anymore. And like the guys who have kind of come up under him as Pascal talked about looking at Kyle as a big brother, you know, there's always sort of this specter of Kyle, the greatest Raptor of all time, always going to be the guy when he's on the team. And now that he's not there, like Pascal actually has that chance to kind of take that 
spot at the top of the hierarchy. Obviously, Fred's still like the on-floor leader and the vocal leader and the sort of front-facing guy more than anybody else. But in terms of on-court play, like Pascal's the dude now. And as much as it'd be great to still have Kyle Lowry around, it almost feels like the perfect time to kind of pass that baton. And you don't risk kind of leaving Pascal feeling like he's not appreciated the way that a max contract guy probably should be going forward. Do you feel similarly? Do you like what was your sort of thought on Pascal kind of digging into that side of things where, you know, he spoke so glowingly of Kyle, but also kind of seemed like maybe there's like a little bit of like, okay, well, Kyle's 35 and, you know, I'm the guy who just made all NBA second team last year. And, you know, but this should be my team. I, I think there's sort of a, a justified line of thinking there from Pascal. What was your sort of read on that? Yeah. So I think I read that a little bit differently from some i think some read that and look to the usage and that type of type of on-court stuff yeah and i looked at it more from an off-court perspective where maybe some of these arguments uh stemmed from hey yeah okay i left the court with 26 seconds left after fouling out and picking up five fouls in like 10 minutes mm-hmm. um that wasn't you know me disrespecting the team that was me just leaving the court frustrated yeah, you, you know, if Kyle Lowry does that, are you suspending him for a game? You know? Yeah, yeah. I think that's where maybe that comes from. Um, and so things like that, where it's like, okay, you gave me the money, you gave me this, this and that, uh, but you, you're not treating me like you would say a Kyle Lowry. And mm-hmm. so I think, it, I think for me, it had more to do with off-court stuff and sort of prioritizing him in that way and maybe... You know, like I did th- think they blew things out of proportion with that. Like, yeah. I thought way too much was made of that. Like, yeah, he, he left the court, whatever. Like, yeah, <laughs> I've seen Kyle. We're adults you know, here, yeah. <laughs> I've seen Kyle leave before halftime to go for a bathroom break or whatever it was. That, that wasn't mm-hmm. disrespectful. And that was in the playoffs. So, you know, stuff like that, I could see him maybe getting annoyed with that. And maybe at the same time with this being his first year as a franchise player, you know, the franchise was saying that, hey, we don't want you to think you can just get away with anything. And yep. so I kind of see both sides of it. And But for me, it was definitely more from an off-court perspective than an on-court. Uh, the other side of it is, uh, yeah, I am uh, excited to see what this iteration of the Raptors will be. I think, you know, if Kyle Lowry was still on the team, uh, the ceiling is still pretty limited in terms of a championship perspective. So. Sure. If you want to understand what Pascal and Fred and OG uh, all truly are, then I've said this over and over again. It, it, it's time to take the trading wheels off and mm-hmm. see what they can be without Kyle. Yeah, well said. Uh, I guess the other sort of interesting point to sort of hit on before we move on here was the sort of talk about trade rumors and all that stuff. And I think. Pascal echoed what I think most like literate people who can read trade rumors and not be sort of duped by every single report that comes out were thinking. And that was like, yeah, it, it was a lot of people saying, oh, Pascal's awesome. It'd be cool if he was on this team. It was never coming from the Raptors. The Raptors were never out there shopping Pascal Siakam. Sure, the Warriors can try to trade for Siakam with their poo-poo platter of garbage all they want. But like that doesn't mean that there's trade like talks actually happening. Um, same with the Kings and all that stuff. And, and I'm glad Pascal sort of expressed that. No, it, you know, I didn't feel like any kind of way because the Raptors weren't saying it. And that was just like a nice bit of confirmation that he's not like feeling scorned by the fact that, um, you know, folks out there writing 
think pieces about how how cool it would be if Pascal Siakam was on their favorite team. Because, yeah, it would be pretty cool. He's pretty awesome. Uh, sorry for your loss that you don't get to acquire him for your garbage uh, package. Uh, <laughs> anyway, um, that feels like a good place to leave that. We'll pivot into what we're looking for from Pascal this season and what success will look like if we get to the end of the year. We're looking at, oh, yeah, this was a good Siakam season. We'll get into that uh, in just one second here. But first, got to tell you about our friends over at Sweatblock. By the way, I'm not making Vivek sit through the ad reads now. He can take a little break. That's fine. Uh, Sweatblog is wonderful. I- I've talked about them. I'm a customer. I've used it, and it's fantastic. They have a dry shirt guarantee. If they don't keep you dry, you get your money back. And you, you what do you mean, keeping me dry? We're talking about excessive sweating, baby. Uh, look, people do it. I do it. Everyone has their problems with sweat. It's fine. It's normal. It's okay. And it's sometimes awkward to talk about, but it doesn't have to be. And you can avoid talking about it altogether because Sweatblock makes it so you you're no longer sweating through your shirts. You're no longer picking your war wardrobe based on the colors that are going to hide sweat better yes i wear a lot of black there's a reason for that well guess what i'm going for pastels now baby because sweatblock makes it so i can do that with their sweatblock antiperspirant wipes sweatblock is stronger and more effective than most clinical antiperspirants you simply apply it at night before bedtime go to bed the next morning you wake up wash and go about your day without worrying about sweat guaranteed i know it sounds too good to be true but i've literally used sweatblock i use the deodorant i've used the wipes and you just got to use it a couple times a week, and it keeps you dry the whole time. No more pitting out, no more picking your shirts based on which one will hide sweat better. If you or someone you love is dealing with excessive sweating, you have to check out Sweatblock. Get it today for 20% off at sweatblock.com with the promo code locked on or at Amazon and CVS. Today's show is also brought to you by our pals over at DirecTV Stream. Does this sound familiar? You've got one device that lets you catch the game live, another that lets you stream your favorite shows. You're watching your sports highlights on your phone, and you've got your neighbor's best friend login, best friends login for the good stuff. Well, I want to tell you about a simple way to get all that entertainment you love without the hassle, and in a great way to put your TV together is Direct TV Stream, and it brings live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before, so you can watch your favorite sports movies and shows all in one place. That means no more juggling remotes and no need to buy another device ever again. And the best part, there is no annual contract. Get rid of the clutter and the confusion and get your TV together with Direct TV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. Compatible device required. Content varies by package. All right. Vivek Jacob. Let's continue on here, shall we? You're back on the screen. We love to see your face. I missed you for those two minutes. Uh, let's talk about Pascal and the season to come. The you know season last year, I think we would agree, was a little bit more successful and good by Siakam standards than maybe the sort of general consensus. I think the two and eight start and the missed you know game winners and stuff like that early in the year, coupled with the bubble struggles for Siakam against the Celtics in particular, those all kind of I think weighed down Siakam's reputation as the season went along. And he really had a solid year top to bottom, you know, drove winning when he was on the floor. The team was a disaster when he was off the floor. Um, you know, maybe they should have played him late in those games. Who am I to say? Uh, but, you know, like, I, I think, you know, again, the general consensus is maybe a little bit lower than I think people who watch the team every day would see. And look, if you didn't watch the Raptors in the back part of last season, I get it. It was a nightmare. You probably should have been spending your time doing better things, but your Siakam opinions might be a little bit ill-informed if that's the case. So knowing what we know and having seen what we saw last season, you know, really the only drop off in terms of overall sort of production was his three point shooting. Everything else either stayed the same or got better in terms of his playmaking, for example, you know, what's the sort of expectation you have going into this season? Are you looking for a replication of 2019-20? Are you looking for something better than that? Is it just kind of 
doing what he did in his best moments last year enough? What's your sort of level of expectation for Siakam coming into this year as he is very clearly the guy, at least in terms of driving play on the floor for the Raptors this season? Individually, I do expect him to be better than 2019-20. I think maybe... You know, the team record obviously won't be the same. No. And so people would say, okay, well, no, he hasn't played at the same level. But I think there's a clear difference between the level of that team and the level of this team, uh, potential-wise. So I think uh, while I expect him to be better individually, I don't think it'll necessarily translate over to team success to that degree. I expect the Raptors to be a good team again, a competitive team. I expect uh, Pascal Siakam to average, I would say, you know, uh, without getting too much into our future over-unders episode, uh, <laughs> you know, well into the 20s uh, in terms of scoring. Um, I think uh, the playmaking is another thing that you highlighted. I, I think we'll go to uh, another level this season. I think especially with the pieces around him, uh, having that support and uh, I think just having a better big man will make a big difference as well. Uh, I mean, we can't uh, shy away from that, right? Like when Aaron Baines was on the floor, it took so much away from what Pascal could do uh, because of the way Pascal likes to attack. And I think now having someone like Ken Birch uh, with the center minutes, I I think it's going to make a big difference. So, uh, and then, yeah, again, the mental aspect of it, the way he comes off in that New York times interview, the way he seems so open about anything, everything. And, even, you know, you see on social media, he's opened back up the comments. It seems like he's ready to take on everything again. And so that tells me he's in a good place. And once he's through this uh, shoulder rehab, I, I think we're going to see a very fun Pascal. Yeah, him opening up the comments on his Instagram is not licensed for the deranged freaks out there to yes. uh, post horrible, horrible things in his mentions. Uh, my God, I, the fact that it even has to be said is insane. But, um, you know, that's, uh, frankly, if he was like, I don't really want to be playing for this team anymore, I wouldn't really begrudge him because of the undue scorn and, like, like, f- like flagrant hate he's received from some sections of the fan base. I'm not saying everybody, obviously it's not everybody. It's a very loud minority, but um, it's disgusting. And hopefully that is something that's well behind everybody. It's the internet. So probably not, but let's uh, like be better. Uh, It's not that hard either way. You know, I think, yeah, you know, the scoring I think is the thing I'm really intrigued by this season. I think the playmaking is going to be just fine. I think it's going to maybe even kind of expand even a little bit more as he's surrounded by players who are not clogging up everything all the time. Um, and even to that point, you know, I was surprised. I think our pal Brad Vermont posted a, a stat last week where he was talking about like the threes that were made off of Siakam passes last season. And I think, you know, Raptors shot like 40% or near 40% off of Pascal passes from three last season and like 36% on other passes from other players. That's bloody impressive considering a lot of those guys were Stanley Johnson that he was passing to. Um, and so that's a really encouraging thing. And I think with just better shooters around him, more space around him, I think they're going to try to stretch out Kem Birch. And, you know, we saw him take a couple threes here and there last season. I could see them sort of sticking him in the corner more often, having him pick and pop, that type of thing, and just kind of open up that laneway for Siakam. That's not even to get into the talk of, you know, they're going to play small a lot probably, and they're going to play Boucher at the five quite a bit. And There's going to be more space out there for Siakam to operate, sort of play make going downhill. And I think he's going to see less in the way of extra attention. I mean, he got 
so many doubles and triples last season at times, it was hard for him to really kind of score efficiently. And he managed by season's end to be just about as efficient as he was in his second team all NBA season, minus the three point shooting, which kind of let him down. But, you know, I, I think seeing how the extra space is going to allow him to potentially attack, I think is going to be important. And also I think we're in line for like a resurgence of just like the Raptors in transition in general, but also Siakam in transition. We saw last year, they got out in transition as much as anybody, but I believe they were like the second least efficient team in transition last year, which is not what you expect, but you know, that's not the sort of reputation they've had, but it was rough last season. And that's where they lost a lot of games is they couldn't take advantage of those easy buckets that they usually would convert on in, in years prior. I think this season, like there's going to be more of a sort of devotion to running. There's going to be better sort of outlet shooters and whatnot on the run. It should just be a bit more of a sort of dangerous transition attack overall. You throw Scotty Barnes into the mix, handling the ball a little bit. Like a lot of guys can just kind of grab and go, which is very exciting. You know, you mentioned you want to see him push into the 20s scoring wise. You know, the scoring numbers are going to be, you know, important, obviously, but the efficiency, I think, has to kind of come back up a little bit here, too. Um, you know, in terms of, you know, the mix of usage, efficiency, like true shooting percentage plus points, like what are you sort of looking for in terms of like an end of season number? What would sort of make you think, okay, this was the kind of offensive season I wanted to see from Pascal? Get specific. <laughs> so, what. What was he at last season? About 54 in terms of true shooting? 50, yeah, just under 55, I believe, yeah. Yeah, so I, I'd like to see him um, at least tick that up to 57, 58. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. I, I think that's within his capabilities. I think the three-point shot is probably the one that I'm most curious about. I'm probably yeah. lower on his three-point shot than most um, because... There's the three-point shot in different roles, right? If sure. Pascal was playing off-ball and he's taking the majority of his threes in the corner, then, yeah, I would expect him to be, you know, in that 37, 38 range. But as someone who is on the ball a lot more and is going to be taking threes uh, above the break and is going to be taking them off the bounce quite a bit, that's when I get skeptical of him as a three-point shooter. And so... Sure. If he can do that at a consistent enough level, then I'll be really impressed. And then my expectations might even go a little bit higher. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think that's going to be the main uh, factor. Uh, I think we've talked a little bit about how you know he could probably get to the line more. And he's kind yeah. of been this guy that uh, doesn't necessarily shy away from contact, but it's almost like, He's always focused on getting the shot off. Yeah. That he's always looking to, okay, well, the, this is where the contact's coming. It's like, how do I still get the shot off? Whereas, hey, this is where the contact's coming. Go right into them. <laughs> Just go to the line. <laughs> you know? And so I yeah. think that's something he could afford to do a bit more. And so those are the two aspects, you know, especially I think the free throw part of it is an easier fix. Uh, not that it's easy, but I think it's easier to change that mindset um and if he can just do that and get to the line more often i think that's where you'll see a, a solid uptick in that uh true shooting percentage yeah and it might be easier for him to get to the line period this season because of the extra space right like yep. it's difficult to plow into aaron bain's occupied territory and find an easy lane way to the basket that also pick up a foul right and i think 
you know, it's not like he's been a bad free throw guy. He averaged 5.4 attempts per 36 minutes last season. But, you know, to the point of him wanting to be the guy, if you want to be the guy, you got to creep that up to, you know, seven, eight, like that. That's kind of the range you got to be looking at. And that's how you win back some of that efficiency. You know, even if the three point shot's going to stay as a sort of below average sort of thing that you don't really trust. I am a little bit higher in the three point shot coming back here. I think just the better sort of ecosystem the Raptors should have this season, even though their half court offense is still going to struggle. I think there's more in terms of like, you know, attention that has to be paid elsewhere. I think OG's kind of ascendance should really help there as well. And, you know, as much as you make the point about the above the break threes not really being part of the thing, I mean, that was what was so bloody impressive about his 2019-20 is he went from being this sort of opportunistic cutter and catch and shoot guy with the championship team into being a guy who was pulling up and bombing away threes from above the break. I, you know, remember that early part of the season there when Kyle Lowry goes out and, you know, he's up against like the Pelicans and the Blazers and that road trip out west and he's just like canning triples from 30 feet and it's like okay this is part of the thing now okay and the sort of alteration of his shot chart was the thing i was most impressed with like the single season going from again everything being kind of created for him to creating a lot for himself in very difficult ways was really amazing and do i expect him to be like a 36 percent three-point shooter if he's kind of creating for himself a lot of the time not necessarily but can he creep up back to 34 35 I think that's reasonable, and I don't think the pull-up thing is totally out of the question either. Like, he's shown flashes of it before. Let's see if he can kind of get it back. You know, who's to say how much, like, the shoulder and whatever was bothering him last season? I, mean, I don't really know when that injury kind of started or, or when it sort of creeped in and, and started affecting things. But, you know, I, I'm pretty bullish on Siakam as, like, an average-ish three-point shooter. And if he's just average-ish, you know, his scoring totals last season are basically where they were the year before. And I could see him kind of creeping that up. I mean, there's going to be a lot of possessions that are no longer being used by Kyle Lowry and Norm Powell's gone too. I could totally see Siakam kind of scaling up the usage, getting up towards that 25 a game type of range and using the extra leverage that you know he's going to have as a sort of central star guy to improve the playmaking as well. I think we could see a pretty stuffed stat sheet from Siakam a lot of nights this year, obviously once he's back and returned from injury. And that, I think, is a pretty good sort of summation of the offensive side for Pascal. Let's pivot to the defensive end and then also kind of let's look at sort of big picture, you know, accolades, things like that, that he might be able to earn this year that could really sort of put a stamp on it being a successful season for Siakam. We'll get to that in one second here. But first, I want to tell you about our friends over with a new sponsor called Sleeper. In 2018, the fantasy sports experts at Sleeper realized that fantasy basketball was broken. Games were being won and lost based on whose players had more scheduled games that week. It made no sense and required very little strategy. So in 2020, Sleeper released a brand new way of playing fantasy basketball. It's called Game Pick, and it's the only it's only available on Sleeper. In Game Pick, owners pick a single game each week for each starter to count towards their team's total score, ensuring an even number of games played between opponents. The days of losing because your opponent's players simply had more scheduled games and more time to accrue stats are over. The days of mindless daily busy work are over the days of giving up halfway through the season because of that busy work are also over this appeals to me a guy who has extremely short attention spans when it comes to fantasy basketball it's just too much work sleeper sounds like it's going to be perfect for me to play fantasy this season in game picks you can pick one game per week based on the matchup home versus away opponents defensive ranking pace of play and that much more it's all strategy that doesn't really apply in regular day-to-day 
fantasy basketball sleeper has cracked the fantasy basketball code if you love to play fantasy football if you prefer building out a weekly strategy versus daily busy work if you're going to love get you are going to love game picks sorry that is Download the Sleeper app and start a league with your friends today. You will not be disappointed. Sleeper's one-of-a-kind game pick is the most strategic fantasy basketball experience in the industry. And uh, you should go check it out. Go to Sleeper, uh, pick up the app, and have a really good time playing fantasy basketball in a way that doesn't suck. Uh, Because, boy, do I usually not like fantasy basketball. This sounds like it will very much appeal to me. Go download Sleeper. Today's show is also brought to you by our pals over at Theragun. If you are a person who has a body... This could apply to you, whether you're a daily sort of athletic person, whether you're an elite athlete, whether you're someone like me who's just trying to make it through the day without uh, like terrible pain because of my garbage body. Theragun can help you. Theragun is a handheld percussive therapy device that releases your deepest muscle tension using a scientifically calibrated combo of depth, speed, and power. And it's quiet as an electric toothbrush. The Gen 4 Theragun doesn't just feel good. It gets to the source of the pain by releasing tension using Theragun's signature percussive therapy, which goes 60% deeper than vibration alone. Whether you want to treat your muscle tension from working out or an injury or just the stresses of daily life, there's no substitute for the Theragun Gen 4. The OLED screen and design make you feel like you're holding something from the future. Go to their website and check it out. And the Theragun app learns from your behaviors and suggests guided meditations as well. Theragun is trusted by 250 professional sports teams like Real Madrid and elite athletes like Paul George, DeAndre Hopkins, Maria Sharapova, and hundreds of thousands of customers. And myself as well. I have a Theragun. It's awesome. Whenever I go for a bike ride, I fire up the Theragun afterwards and I feel great the next day. Try Theragun for 30 days. Start starting only at 199 bucks. Go to therabody.com slash locked on all one word right now and uh, get your gen four Theragun today. That's therabody.com slash locked on therabody.com slash locked on. All right, Big V, let's uh, round this out and look at the other side of the ball for Pascal. I think there's this sort of perception last season. It might be justified. I think, you know, entirely the team fell back a little bit defensively last year. I think that's kind of human nature when you're in a terrible death spiral of a season. Probably going to try a little bit less hard in that end. That doesn't take away from the talent the Raptors have on the defensive end. And boy, do they have a lot of it. Pascal being, you know, near the top of that list. And if you think of the really good defensive Raptors teams of the last few years, One of the hallmarks is Pascal Siakam being like this monster who can cover all this ground, get out to the corners, contest threes, be a good closeout guy, not get blown by, not pick up fouls on shooters. Like his length, his mobility, the range he has really makes Nick Nurse's defense viable for the Raptors in a lot of ways. Again, maybe a bit of a drop off as a one-on-one defender. He might be a little bit less sort of stout than he is as a team defender. What are you looking for from Pascal this season on the defensive side of the ball to kind of suggest, okay, this was a successful year. Obviously, there's going to be a bit of a drop off if he's having more of a usage uptick and all that. It's just kind of, you know, human nature. You have to expend energy. You have a finite amount of it. And if you're using all of it on offense, there's less of it for defense. But what are you looking for from Siakam on the defensive end of the floor this season? Yeah, defensively, I think we might see a bit of an uptick in those one-on-one battles as well. I think Mm. you expect him to continue to be a good team defender, and we saw how valuable he can be. I mean, I always go back to that Celtic series where as bad as he was, you still needed him out on the floor because when you're going up against guys He was incredible in that series. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. And when you're going up against guys like Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, you you need that size, that like that switchability, and so uh, his value on that end of, of the floor, I think, will always be a bit underrated. Um, and that's why a team like the Warriors would love to have him. <laughs> so, I, I think, yeah, I expect a really good season from him uh, on that end of the floor. 
individually, I think, again, you know, with, with Pascal really feeling good, I expect him to sort of be taking numbers this season and saying, okay, mm-hmm. well, this is what people thought about me. You know, when he gets those one-on-one matchups, I, I think he's really going to be looking forward to uh, shutting some people down and really making uh, a name for himself again. Yeah, and I think the interesting thing is, you know, I think last year OG usually took the biggest defensive assignment, but with OG also kind of being in line for an increase in his offensive usage this year, I could see them kind of trading off a little bit more often and sort of, and you throw in Scotty Barnes into the mix and, you know, Chris Boucher kind of occupies that sort of long rangey role as well. I I could see there being sort of a more sort of egalitarian approach to the big defensive assignments. They have the horses, they have the bodies, they have the dudes on hand to do it. Why not? Why just, you know, shackle OG with all the big assignments when you have three, four guys who can take those on. And, you know, Pascal showed a lot when it comes to one-on defense, one-on-one defense in the past. You know, you mentioned that Celtic series, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown. You know, you think back to, like, the Wizards series even back before his real ascent. And he was guarding John Wall and Bradley Beal, you know, with OG and kind of changing the dynamic of that series. I think there's uh, a lot to be excited about with Siakam on the defensive end. And I just think the fact that the team probably has more personnel that can play Nick Nurse's style this season is also going to help too. Like he was covering so much ground and, you know, filling in the gaps that a guy like Aaron Baines was leaving behind, you know, even Norman Powell with the role that he had last season, he's not that great a defender. He doesn't really fit the scheme all that well. And that's just two guys that were often on the floor together that were kind of causing things to leak and see Occam inevitably because of all the ground he can cover becomes the guy who has to clean up messes. And that becomes a lot to handle. And I, I really do think it could just be, a much more sort of well-oiled defensive machine this season with everybody kind of pulling in the same direction and the multitude of different fun, long, rangy, freaky lineups they can put out there should just make it easier on the whole. And you can kind of focus on just doing the Pascal Siakam thing as opposed to doing the Pascal Siakam thing and then filling in for the Aaron Baines thing and then filling in for the Norm Powell thing and all of that. Um, it just feels like the infrastructure is a little bit more sound this season and more conducive to success. And again, I think the sort of divvying up of defensive assignments between Siakam and OG will help keep them both fresh for the offensive end as well. One I quick guess thing other, yeah. uh, I just want to throw in is the X factor, and this will probably apply to everyone from OG to Fred to whoever, uh, with the size that they have, mm-hmm. um, who really steps up their rebounding is going to be yeah. important to see. And so yeah. I think Pascal, you know, we've seen him with those closeouts, sort of, you know, close out and leak out. Um, I don't know if they can continue to do that. I mean, obviously, in terms of what's advantageous to the team, it's like, yeah, you can test the shot on the perimeter, get out, and if we can get the transition, that's worth it. But I think the level of gang rebounding that's going to be required this season as much as we talk about having you know six ten guys with seven foot wingspans and being able to switch and get get all over the floor mm-hmm. uh being able to close out the pos- possession with the rebound uh is going to be huge yeah totally i think ken birch is going to help with that a lot um you know he can catch balls which aaron baines sadly could not uh <laughs> which was a real problem the number of like volleyballed rebounds that ended up out of bounds off of Aaron Baines's fingers was uh excessive last year and 
you know, you're right though. It is going to have to be sort of a collective effort and, you know, it's, they play a lot of zone too, right? Like that is always going to open you up for offensive boards and it'd be nice if they could kind of, you know, be on the same page grabbing those boards because again, grabbing those boards is how their offense is going to be fed, right? Like in a lot of ways, the half court's going to be a struggle. The nice thing is that they have a lot of guys who can grab and go, but you have to grab first before you can go. Um, I guess the the last thing to sort of leave off here, uh, well, two two things, you know, in terms of accolades, awards, like, is there a thing that he should be kind of striving for this season? A thing that, you know, at the end of the season, if he were to sort of earn something, whether it's an all-star, which might be tough if he's going to miss a month at the start of the season, which we'll get to in a sec, but, you know, is it all NBA? Is it all defense? Like, is there something out there, an award at the end of the season where if that was granted to Siakam, that would sort of stamp like, okay, this was a very successful year for him. A very successful season would be making that all NBA third team. Sure. Um, you know, you would imagine there's a spot available with Kawhi Leonard out of the mix. Yep. Um, so I think a very successful season for Pascal would be getting back on that all NBA team. Obviously, I don't expect him to make the second team. Um, okay. That was probably a bit generous when it happened. But, uh, if he can get back on that third team, I think that would be a great accomplishment for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I wouldn't rule out All Star. I, I don't. Yeah. I don't anticipate him missing as much time as we might think. And so, mm-hmm. if he's back, say mid November, you you get a run of games from mid November, you know, through January. I, I feel like that should be. If he if he plays at the level, uh, at an All NBA level, I think that should be enough to make the All Star team. Yeah, that's that's a good point. You know, it is. I am looking forward to getting some updates on where he's at because it does feel like you know what what he's even the status of Siakam right now. He did say that he's shooting and working out in the piece with Silpon Deb, which is encouraging. And you know, we're still a month away from the first game of the season, so hey, maybe he gets in there in early November and it's not too much of an absence, and the team isn't set too far back by not having him. You know, that is where I kind of want to leave. Is you know, at what point? would you be concerned like in terms of like a return date? Like how long do you think the Raptors can survive without Siakam? Because I think it's going to be very tough. Like thinking about what the offense is going to look like without him and thinking about the replacements for him, you're not really getting a full, obviously you're not, he's the best player on the team, but you're not getting a full sort of like for like replacement anywhere. You're either getting Chris Boucher who can kind of fill in the scoring, but not really everything else. Or you're maybe throwing in Scotty Barnes who can fill in some of the playmaking, but is also a rookie and you're not getting, the scoring or you're throwing in Goran Dragic as extra ball handling and you're losing some size. There's a lot of trade-offs not having Siakam available. You know, how long do you think they can hold on and sort of maintain some sort of credibility and competitiveness without him to start the season? And at what point do you get really concerned that it might be a little bit too far behind the eight ball for them to really kind of get back in the swing of things? Well, I think there's that uh, West Coast road trip that's late November, if I'm not mistaken. And Mm -hmm. so uh or mid to late november and so ideally if he can get back before that i think that's going to be important Mm -hmm. Um, and i feel like that's within reasonable expectations if he were to miss that and then he doesn't come back till you know december then that's where you know throw throw all-star out the window throw you know the raptors you know (laughs) throw the raptors out the window the very raptors themselves Uh, yeah in terms of you know, they, they, I expect them at the very least to be competing for, you know, a, a play-in spot. Uh, but I think if he were to miss that much time, uh, 
it's it's going to be tough. Yeah, we will see for sure. Uh, we should start getting some updates within a week, it seems, because uh, Media Day is a week from today, I believe. And uh, exactly one month today until the home opener. Basketball returns to Toronto in an official capacity. The preseason doesn't count uh, in uh, 30 days' time, which is extremely exciting. Uh, Vivek, thanks for being on the show today, man. We can leave it there. Anything you want to promote for the people out there? Oh, thanks for having me. Uh, this is fun. It's it's nice to get away from what my days have usually been uh, <laughs> these past three weeks. And so I appreciate that. In terms of plugging stuff, I mean, with the season coming on, you can expect to see stuff for Raptors.com, uh, CBC Sports, and Complex Canada. Uh, Complex Canada, obviously, will be non-Raptors, non-basketball uh, stuff, but... Yeah, that's where you can find my work, and you can follow me on Twitter at Vivek and Jacob. Awesome, man. Uh, it was lovely having you. That will do it for today's show. You can find me on Twitter, of course, as always, at Woodley Sean. You can find my writing over at Raptors HQ, and I uh, have the first part of my annual Ranking Every Raptor piece where I go through and assemble a ranking of every player to have played for the Toronto Raptors, plus Alonzo Mourning and Kenny Anderson in the ceremonial bottom two spots. Uh, it's a tedious but fun exercise. The first half is out, and then the top 125 will be posted later on this week, so you can get ready and excited for that. Um, but that'll do it for now. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll talk to you again uh, probably Tuesday, maybe Wednesday, kind of figuring out schedule-wise. I am going to talk about the first half of Ranking Every Raptor with a guest of some sort in the next couple days here. So uh, get ready and stay tuned for that. But until then, thank you so much. We'll talk to you again very soon with another episode of Locked on Raptors. Bye-bye. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked on podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.